is a Yusai. Welcome to Let's Talk, a place for open conversations. Today, my guest is Irene Chen, founder and creator of Parker Thatch. Known from their chic handbags, accessories, and jewelry design, Irene Chen and her husband Matt Grimby, both with design backgrounds, started Parker and Thatch in early 2000s. With an idea of making high-quality goods that enhance life with simplicity and elegance, her signature monogrammed handbags and jewelry are unique pieces that are meant to last a lifetime. But I'm more interested in how an Asian woman, a mother, an immigrant, had the courage to become an entrepreneur. So I'm so excited for having her here today, Irene. Welcome to Let's Talk. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much, Yusai. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. How are you doing today? Oh, good. Someone asked me yesterday, "What do you do all day?" And I answered, "Starts at 6 a.m. and then it just goes until I would say 10, 10:30, and it's just full on until Friday." <laughs> Well, when you say full on, I assume that you're talking about Parker and Thatch. <laughs> It's exactly, and you know what? That's so funny. It's Parker and Thatch, which is Parker Thatch, the company, and also our kids are named Parker and Thatch. So it's a combination of both all day long, and it's just the fine balance of mom and work hat. <laughs> Tell me about Parker. Parker is our daughter, and she is currently going to be a junior in high school. She's very artistic. Parker, as a woman coming into her own, is really relates to the Asian side of her heritage, which I find really interesting. She's always gravitated towards manga and Korean makeup and Taiwanese food. So I find that really interesting, being born here and growing up. In California, so it's really interesting to see her come into her own and finding her voice. I love it. And Thatch. And Thatch is currently going to go into the freshman in high school, and he's really athletic. Matt and I always laugh. We're like, he will become a fraternity brother, and he's very into sports. He loves analyzing stats and details, and we're like, where did this kid come from? So. They're very different, you know. It's just really great to see how they're just both coming into their own, and really, it's it's really cool. What's harder, Parker and Thatch and real life people, or Parker and Thatch the brand? Oh my gosh, the difficulty is similar in terms of how you approach it, you know. And I think what I've learned is you just really have to be comfortable with yourself and knowing what your mission is as a parent and what your mission is with your company that you're trying to work at every day. And if that mission is aligned, I think it's it's really interesting where you're approaching each with a mission. We really base ourselves on this concept of ease and elegance, and I think I bring that into the mission of being a parent, where I think that they should find their own true passion through their own destiny. And I think that's how we kind of approach this concept of ease and elegance through our products. You know, we want you to be empowered. Well, you have background working with Donna Karen in the design side of it. Yes. And Matt went to Art yes. Center, which is where I went for school as well. So we have that That's common right. reality that did. we share. You and I are both Taiwanese immigrants, so we have a lot in common. Yes. You chose to leave a prestigious position at Donna Karen to start your own business. That had to be a challenging decision and a long road. 
And I know you started from stationary. Mm. Give me a little bit of uh, that journey from stationary to creating a first handbag. We started with this idea of stationary because we decided, well, how do we marry this concept of what we can design and through technology? So we actually started with a company, you know, called IMWA and we did e-stationary where we had this concept of making beautiful stationary that you can send online through emails in the early 2000s. And it was just too early. So that didn't really work. And so going back to your question about being Asian and growing up Asian here, I think moving here when I was seven years old, where I couldn't speak English, I think what it really taught me was this idea of anything is possible because I'm starting from, I couldn't understand English, but then by the end of the year, I was fluent in English. So I think that gives you the confidence and the kind of audacity to be like, okay, well, this is what I want to try. And it's always been like that. So that's been a great thing for me in terms of being a you know seven-year-old who arrived here in this foreign country. The immigrant mentality, yeah. hustle, hustle, and more hustle. All day long, adapting and, you know, and just learning that failure is not an option. How do I get back up? Because you get knocked down all the time, you know, especially as a kid, but you just keep going. And I think that's what I've always been like. And that's always been my entire mantra as a child, and, you know, even till this today. So anyway, so that didn't work. And, but we had, we kept getting comments and emails saying, Hey, you know what? We don't want to pay for this, but we love these designs. So can you make this into actual tangible products? And that's how the whole stationary idea started. So that's what we did. So we did stationary, we did home goods. And then I think it was like in 2009 where Matt approached me and said, Hey, listen, I've kind of figured out how we can print these things on a bag. Would you be interested in making a bag? And I said, yeah, this is kind of cool. I'd love to do that. So again, you know, I worked as a product development person in, at Donna Karen. So I wasn't a designer. I couldn't draw. I, I can't draw. I can't even draw a stick sometimes, like a stick figure. I'm so bad. I conceptualize what I want to do and what it would look like. So we had still no money. We were still, you know, kind of chuggling along. And so I said, I don't have money to pay for a sample maker. I don't, you know, we can't do any of that. So again, it's going back to the immigrant mentality of just being scrappy. I cobbled up all these bags and this idea that I wanted to make. And we had this dry cleaner by my house. And she was always so good at like mending my pants and like doing all that jazz. And I was like, this, this woman can design, you know? So I asked her, I said, hey, would you make a, a pattern for me? And she's like, yeah. And so that's how it started. So we started our first bag at a dry cleaner. She made the pattern and she probably made the first 25 to 50 bags. And we still purchase that bag today. <laughs> we still purchase that same design to this day. It's just become, you know, it's just better materials now. The OG, <laughs> the OG. The OG, yeah. And it was just natural canvas because, you know, I love this idea of marrying really pedestrian products with design. I've always liked that. And I love the combination of the two. And that's really how that bag came into conception. As an artist, starting a business, be able to profit from art that you create, it's incredibly challenging. We know that. Yes. The balancing act between art and commerce, it is a constant struggle. Oh, how do you balance that? How do you balance the art and commerce part? When do you look at your art and able to accept the fact it can be commerce? Because 
I went to art school. Yeah. And I know there's definitely a group of thoughts of students like we're an artist. We're never going to compromise. This is what we do. Yeah. Those are the fine art students. And then the, <laughs> the more commercial side of yeah. it, which is like me, yeah. was more into advertising and product designs and graphic design. Yeah. All I wanted to do when I art center, I can tell you back in the days, is that I just want to make sure I make money. Yeah. I didn't care how, where. I just know that I can create a market for the work I do. Interesting. When did that come for you? When I was at Donna Karen, I, I had the luxury of getting paid for kind of running our own little business there, you know? And so I really learned how to make product for the customer in a weird way. And when we started our own company, for us, we really needed to understand who our customer was and marrying what we wanted to make with that customer. It's a very interesting question because, you know, that's how we started the company. But as I've progressed as a human and learning more about myself, what I've learned is actually, what is my mission? It's not even the product. I go back to what's my mission in life. And what I'm finding is that mission drives what I make. So my mission in life is how do we make your life easy but yet you look great. And so how do we make products that help you with that? And then it just goes back to really knowing yourself and understanding about yourself. What would I want? And I think that's been a really empowering thing, honestly. Through this long journey, I think that's where we're kind of coming to, which is really exciting. And that's where we're making the most you know, amazing product. And it's so interesting to me. Whatever we create is stems from somewhere. Yeah. It has an origin. It yeah. has a place. And I love hearing that you're coming from a mission of a place that you know who your customers are. But the seven-year-old Irene who just landed in America, yeah. does she have that mission already started brewing? <laughs> you know, that's a good question. I don't think so. But I think I've always had the mission of I can do whatever I put my mind to. And I, it's always been there. And you just have to kind of find it within yourself and find the strength within yourself to believe that it's there. Do you remember when you first arrived to the United States, what your emotion was like? I can tell you that in my family, I was so excited. Yeah to be in a new place. Yeah. It was a new star for me because I was not a very well-disciplined student in school. I did really bad. I'm a bad tester. <laughs> I always wanted to be an artist when I was young, yeah. but I was deterred from it. Yeah. I was not good with music. I am totally tone deaf. So karaoke was not going to make a career for me. <laughs> um, so I didn't follow suit to all the stereotypes that I wish I can embody yeah. <laughs> and to be musically, yeah. uh, musically challenged, let's put it that way. But I am learning the piano. It's kind of my obsession right I now. I love that. However, when, when I came here, I was excited. I want a new start. I want this world, this part of the world, not see the Yusai yeah. as I was in Taiwan. You know, the kid that get kicked out of school every day, the parents get called every other day, the teacher doesn't <laughs> want to teach me, put me in another classroom. I stood outside the classroom more than I was inside the classroom growing up. That's amazing. And that's how I grew up. How old were you when you came here? 12. Okay. Okay. Wow. So, and my brother, on the other hand, was a perfect student in Taiwan, always first or second in his class. And it was a struggle for him to have to leave that. And my sister was only not even a year old yet. So she's just pretty much born in America. Yeah. 
But I remember the difference, the feeling for me to come to America versus my brother. What was that like for you? Well, I was seven. So when I came here, I, I distinctly remember this, how big everything was. Even as a seven-year-old, I remember pulling up to my uncle's house and I couldn't believe that you could drive a car into a garage. I was like, oh my God, what if this door opens and you can put a car inside this thing? This is insane. And I think what struck me was like, what freedom there is here. Like, it's insane. You have a house with a yard and we get to run around. And I think um, for me, it was just like, this is amazing. And I, I want to be here, you know, because in Taiwan, I think, you know, I, I didn't go to school for that long in Taipei, but it was very structured. It was all about memorizing and it wasn't this freedom. And I remember when I went to school, I was like, what is going on? We're playing here. And we have even playtime in the classroom. This is insanity. So I think that freedom was seeing this world is really big and I can really do big things. If you never left Taiwan, yeah. you think you would have the creative gumption that you have now, the courage and entrepreneur spirit that you have today? You know what? It's so funny because I was thinking that myself the other day and I was thinking, you know, my mom said something interesting. She goes, you know, all three, because we have three girls in the family. And she goes, I admire all three of you guys because you guys all have this like confidence about yourself where you can just decide that I want to do something and you guys go and do it. And I said, yeah. And I was thinking that and I was like, well, we have you to thank for bringing us here, allowing for us to have an education like this. You know, we did well in school, but in school, you got to also examine all these other things that you were interested in to be creative, to participate in things that I don't think I would have been able to do in Taiwan. It would have been a lot more structured than you see students in Taiwan where all day long you're just studying. I see my cousins and I go there. I'm like, it's 3 a.m. You just came home from your tutoring or whatever it is you're doing. Like, this is crazy. You wouldn't have this breath. You know, we were all so lucky to have in terms of an education. I think back that at that moment when I landed in America, many, many times on days that are darker than on days that our business doesn't go as well. Yeah. I think about that excitement. I remember that because we actually landed in America on my birthday, May 17th. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. So how poignant that was as a rebirth for me. Wow. And I hear and I talk to a lot of immigrants about coming to this country for the very first time and how that emotion carried through and how it can continue to carry through through your business and success and art that you create. Yeah. And I remember that when I landed, everything didn't matter anymore. Mm. What was the past became the past. And I truly wanted to create Mm. a new persona for myself, a new person. Even at the age of 12, I knew that the mistakes I made are left behind on that 23 hours flight. And a lot of time when I do talk to other immigrants and and we talk about coming here, the struggles, and we forget sometimes of that initial landing. It's like the moon landing for us, right? It's like that moment oh my God, of spark. Yeah. And then we can bottle that for everyone. It's such a joyful moment to have, right? Yes. It's a joyful, incredible, unrepeatable moment to have in our lives. It's so true. And it's exactly like that moment back to go to the garage opening. I'm like, oh my God, there's so much to this world that I didn't know existed. So I think that for me is just, it, it. I always remember that for sure. But then, like you said, it comes with the struggles of being different. I, I you know, I definitely grew up where I was probably went to school where I was the only Asian person 
there, you know, and then, and then I couldn't speak English. So I didn't know what was going on. I was just like, they just put me into a classroom. And that I thought was a little crazy too. Now that you think about it, I'm like, God, I have kids. I can't imagine just putting my kid in a classroom and be like, all right, bye. It turned out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, but I think you really learn how to get up and to really just keep moving forward. You know, like with every immigrant, the lunch was always such a challenge. I, mean, I just remember this, like little rice balls with seaweed. And then I opened my lunch and everyone's like, ew, what is that? Are you eating a rock? And is that an eyebrow? And I'm like, no, oh, this is really good. But then I'm like, why can't I just have a sandwich? What the hell? As you build your business, have you ever found more challenging for you because the Asian women trying to carve a space for yourself? You know, um, I have to say no in a weird way. I think now I see it that way. But I think when I was so head down, I didn't see that struggle. But I do see that how important it is to be a woman and to be an Asian and to be a face and an example for other girls who are coming up and other women who are coming up i'm finding that to be really important and that is part of again my mission i love your energy i love that you make no excuses for who you are i love that you don't victimize yourself or use the immigrant story to lean into to to build i remember for me to know that there's a place for me is when I saw a photographer named walter chin mm-hmm. who's been working in the 90s one of the best fashion photographer he's Brilliant. His last name is Chen. Therefore, I know he's Asian. I knew nothing about him back then. Was no internet wasn't like as easy to find people's lives. Yeah, <laughs> unless yeah. Published on Facebook. But I just knew this name, and this name was so important to me because mm. when I th- want to make those excuses that oh, because I'm Asian, I couldn't make it, mm. I get to look at his name and say, "Wow, he did it." Yeah. I don't know his journey. I don't know his struggle. Yeah. But it didn't matter to me. He became what I needed. Yeah. So as you're growing your business, as you're growing culturally, yeah. embedding your Asian-ness yeah. into your business, whether you like it or not, in your blood. Of course. What, what's that one thing that sparked you and inspired you in the first initial wow moment? Like, yes, this is it. This whole journey of building our company I think what was interesting was we were so heads down, just working and working that I never got to reflect on this. I would say maybe starting, and it's so weird, but during the pandemic to really relate and talk to our customers aside from the product. And that's when I really realized how important this platform is. And I'm like, wow, actually I am a woman. I'm an Asian woman and my face is out there and people are reacting to this that's when things started changing, really changing in terms of like, wow, there's more than just making a product. My voice actually matters. This face actually matters. And my story actually matters to make change for other people. I see a lot of Asian women writing back to me also in terms of like, you know, it's so great to see an Asian woman who's crazy and funny and like, just you know, like creative and doing these things. And it's just so empowering. And I'm like, oh, I never thought of it. That's right. This is crazy. But, you know, and that's when it started clicking. And it's been just clicking for the last two years in a really different way. And it makes work so much more exciting. 
And I think for me, when I decided to go into fashion, it was so interesting because I was traveling a lot and I was doing finance and I, I knew this that was not for me. And um, I just remember looking through a magazine and Mary Wong was the um, vice president of DKNY. Um, and there was a picture of her and it was such a picture in my head even to this day where I saw her, she was at her desk. She had like five women around her and she was just this powerful photo of her leading this meeting. And I was like, dude, that's amazing. And so I swear to God, no joke, I put my resume together and I had to send her the resume. That's how I got into fashion. And that's how I moved to New York. Because I always knew there was something bigger that I wanted to do, but I just didn't know how. I'm just really weird and scrappy like that. So I started calling the DKNY building and pretending like I had a UPS package to deliver to Mary Wong. And I am not joking. Can I have her exact floor? Because I knew that if I just sent it to the mailroom, it wasn't going to get to her. So I had to have her exact floor of what she, where she was. And they're like, okay, sure. So that's how I sent her my resume. And she called me back and said, would you like to come in and meet me? And that's how I got my job. And that's how I moved to New York. It's insane, but it was that picture. And so that's why it's so important for me to this day where I hope someday if some girl is out there who's like, I really want to do, you know, whatever it is. Well, she's doing it and she looks Asian. Maybe I can do it too. In Mandarin, there's a word called Dolian. And I think it's very interesting what you just said that it's important to show up and be present. Yes. And the word Dolian for those who don't speak Mandarin means losing face. Yeah. And I think now we're owning our faces, right? This is for yeah. the first time in a long time, yeah. the cultural changes, the shift during pandemic, that we matter. Yes. Yes. Right? We matter. And I think about those two words a lot. Dolian. Mm. Don't Dolian. Don't lose face. And not in the context how your mom would tell you that don't embarrass me, <laughs> but don't forget your face your presence that's important. If we can change our connotation and paradigm of that word yeah. and become part of the conversation always, I don't know if you grew up when your mom or dad said this to you, my mom will always say, don't forget you are yellow skin, you have black hair, you have brown eyes, no matter what, that's who you're going to be, Yeah, right? Yeah, so it's so true. It's like, you have to show your face. And I think that's the key because yes, that picture and that face really gave me the like I don't know just gave me the like it's possible and I think that's what it was this was possible I can do this and I think that's what I want to give back is to show anybody like what you want to do it's possible and let's do it I love that when I look at Parker and Dash I see you right yeah. and I see Matt I see you and I see the heart and the passion that you have behind it it makes every handbag matter right it it makes every stitching matter it makes every design matter just that much more this is your love this is your passion yeah and you know what you said i think what's so interesting is through this product i have learned that i get to connect with people and i think that's what i've learned and you know when we were just making product at donna karen i never got to feel that connection and even when we started our company and we did it for so long i didn't it was always just making product you know, making what's the next thing, what's the next thing. But I think now this platform has allowed for me to connect and to make change. And that's so powerful. And it's so, it's so important. 
Thank you, Irene, for this valuable conversation and for your commitment to your mission of being a face of representation and having the tenacity to find your own voice and be authentically yourself. As we start toward career, we often get caught up in our own personal development and advancement of our own path, never quite realizing our own journey's impact on the world. We are an example to those around us, and we need to be aware of that responsibility. We can also see it as a mission and an inspiration. We must remember, each of us has the potential to shine a light and be an example for younger generations and for our peers. Thank you to all my listeners for your constant support. Please subscribe to this podcast for more open conversations. You can visit our website at letstalkwithusite.com and follow me on Instagram at usite88 for updates. Let's Talk is a production of 88 Phases. I'm your host, Usai. Our director, Louis Jaime, and writer, editor, and producer, Trevor Swenjin. Thank you for this conversation. Thank you.